Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Highway to Hail, a podcast brought to you by the Michigan Daily and the Michigan Daily Sports Section. I'm your host, Jared Greenspan. On this week's episode, the football beat is back on the pod to dissect Michigan's crushing road loss to rival Michigan State in East Lansing and recap the Daily's own triumphant victory over the state news, 8-0 on Friday for the Daily's 16th straight victory. So on this week's pod, we have the football beat fresh off a trip to East Lansing to discuss Michigan's lost to the Spartans. Two trips to East Lansing. Two trips. Of course, we also had the state news game on Friday, Um, but we'll get to that later. First for Michigan football, um, this looked like it could be the signature win to Jim Harbaugh's era. Uh, the Wolverines had a 16-point lead and were dominating dominating in the third quarter in East Lansing. Spartan Stadium was quiet. The momentum was their way, and yet at once they let it all slip away. Um, and it was a stunning collapse, uh, a failure on a lot of levels for Michigan, and a loss that is going to be difficult to recover from. But we'll get up to the long-term implications in a bit to start. What went wrong? A lot went wrong. But in that collapse, the end of the third quarter and the fourth quarter, what was most glaring about what Michigan did or didn't do that led to their 16-point collapse and ultimately the loss? They didn't tackle. Uh, On five different occasions, they watched the back of Kenneth Walker's jerseys cross the goal line. That is the most touchdowns ever scored in a single game against Michigan. It is the most touchdowns scored in a single game for Michigan State since 2008. Javon Ringer. Javon Ringer, yes. That was announced on the MSU Press Box PA No, I system. just know it off the top of my head. And Brennan claims to know it off the top of his head after hearing it on the MSU PA system <laughs> in the Press Box yesterday. Um, I really think that tackling was the biggest problem in the second half. I think the D-line did a pretty decent job. I think every play besides when Jalen Harrell got sealed out, the D-line did a decent job funneling Kenneth Walker into holes where linebackers and defensive backs need to come up and make tackles. But, you know, Michigan's second level just had no fight. I don't think that there was ever a real sense of pride in gang tackling Kenneth Walker. I think that there were a lot of instances where there was one guy to the ball, and it's tough to bring down Kenneth Walker with one guy. That led to him, you know, bouncing out. That led to him bouncing around. That led to him pushing through. And I I think that that's where he ripped off the extra yardage. And on a couple instances, the big touchdown runs. Yeah, and I think just as big of a problem as that collapse in the third and fourth quarter was what they didn't do in the first and second quarter, which is score touchdowns. There were a lot of instances where they were settling for field goals when they shouldn't have. Uh, One thing that comes to mind is uh, when Cornelius Johnson got inside the five-yard line on a jet sweep, and then the call, the play was brought back by holding on Andrell Anthony. Those are the kind of missed opportunities you can't afford to have. And, you know, people discuss the officiating, but at the end of the day, Michigan kicked four field goals in a game against a top 10 opponent. That's just not going to cut it. And none of those field goals were over 40 yards either. So many different times Michigan knocked on the door and then just sputtered when it got into the red zone. And those are things you can't afford to have happen against a team like Michigan state. Yeah. For me, what's most glaring is the defense and how they looked so woefully unprepared to do anything to slow down the Spartans up tempo offense. Um, 
it was shades of last year almost when Michigan just seemed unprepared and and unequipped to stop any opposing offense. And the Spartans were just going tempo after tempo, hurry up after hurry up. And Michigan was stubborn in its insistence to keep shuffling packages of players three at a time, four at a time, on and off the field. When that wasn't working, they got called for uh, too many men on the field or offsides multiple times. Um, And other times, the confusion was on the field as a result of these subs because players were getting onto the field late. And as a result, Spartan receivers were uncovered. They weren't prepared to stop Kenneth Walker, uh, and they just weren't ready. I think there was one of the Walker's touchdown runs happened as Michigan was running late men onto the field. And you could see Josh Ross. You could see Brad Hawkins. You could see the D-line shuffling around, barking out orders. And no one was ready. And there, you're, you could see it from the press box. You could see it on TV. Those are instances where they should have called timeout to stop because you can't let that happen. Um, and it just happened over and over again. And it wasn't as much of a big deal in the first half when, or the third quarter when Michigan had the lead. But it was so glaringly obvious in the fourth quarter once it's been happening the whole game and you're Michigan and you're collapsing and it just keeps happening. And to me, that's an indictment on the coaching staff. And I know players have said it keeps them fresh and they like it, but at some point you have to adjust, you have to change, and that can happen mid-game. And the fact that it didn't was just kind of shocking to just have to watch that happen over and over again. It was kind of hard to believe. And I think that goes deeper. I think there's a long-term angle to that. I think one of the biggest problems under Jim Harbaugh at Michigan over the last seven years has been a lack of willingness to adjust. And I think this year, with everything that's been said about the staff and you know why this group is different, why... You know, the fact that they're so young and so relatable. And, you know, I think the word genius has been tossed around a few times, too. I think that that really adds up and sets expectations that a staff like that would be able to adjust mid-game. And they weren't. They, at times, didn't try. And I, I think that when you're a Michigan fan, that's the most frustrating thing. But, you know, from the objective angle, it's sort of the same thing over and over. And I, I think that that's where you start asking bigger questions about the Harbaugh era and what Michigan's ceiling might be if they're unwilling to adjust. Well, I I think it speaks to complacency in this game specifically with a 16-point lead. I think that Mike McDonald in the past this season has shown a willingness to adjust when he's had to. I think in the very first game, there was much ado made about him him switching to a too-high shell to provide extra safety help for his cornerbacks. But in this game, I think he saw that it was a 16-point lead and figured we can keep rotating guys in and keep doing what we're doing. And then suddenly you have you're down you're only up one score after one touchdown and then you're tied after two touchdowns suddenly it's a completely different ball game and then you're panicking and it just doesn't work out so i think that i don't know if it speaks as much to the big picture stuff but i think that there is certainly an element of complacency there from mcdonald and that's something they can't afford to have especially against top 10 opponents i think it's also more so you know he's adjusted before but this is kind of his crutch and one of like the the hallmarks of his defense and it's also something the players really enjoy so he maybe was reluctant to switch away from that because it's the backbone of the defense it's kind of part of their identity and the players like it but at the end of the day if it's blatantly not working and you're a coach like you have to a recognize that and b not be afraid to go away from that for a little bit because it was blatantly obvious that it was not working and michigan state knew that and they were abusing it. They were exploiting it. They kept running on tempo because it was working every single play, either via flag or a pretty big game. Um, so let, let's switch away from the defense for a bit, talk on the flip side of the ball, the offense. A lot of good, 
some bad. Um, we can get into the, the quarterbacks, as always, with, with Cade playing probably his best game at Michigan. Um, and JJ with the first fumble and then the second ill-fated fumble that, in, in hindsight, is probably the turning point of that game. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right in saying that it was the best game of Cade's career. He really showed why he's been the starting quarterback despite calls to make J.J. McCarthy the starting quarterback. And I think he showed while he'll stay the starting quarterback for the remainder of the season, barring any serious injuries. Um, I think that he showed, I think Andre Anthony showed why he deserves more playing time and why he maybe should have been in the lineup sooner. Uh, I don't know what was going on in practice where it took so long to get him involved, but he showed that he will be a regular part of the offense moving forward. And speaking, looking back at that fumble from J.J. McCarthy, I do want to speak about a lot of people have discussed that Cade McNamara was in the medical tent, and I'm not sure people are quite understanding what Harbaugh said in that scenario. I think Harbaugh said that he had been in the medical tent at some point. I think people have extrapolated that to say that he was in the medical tent not available to play for that one snap of the fumble. I'm not certain exactly what the case was, but I think people really jumped to the conclusion that he was completely unavailable. And it wouldn't shock me if Cade was available to play, but Harbaugh wanted to keep him out a few snaps and let JJ take over while he recuperated. And, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say that that's the wrong decision. But, you know, I think that with foresight, it should have been easy to see that that would be the wrong decision if Cade was available. Harbaugh was asked point blank after the game whether Cade was available for that snap and did not answer the question, instead saying Cade was working through something. The the dual quarterback system is so polarizing because at times it works, and it's obvious that J.J. provides an element that Cade can't in the rushing game, and it offers the defense a different look, and it forces the defense to stay on its toes for the play action and JJ had two big runs, 20 plus yards in last week's game against Northwestern, and it's the diversity. And then you add on to that, Cade has played well, but not great. So they want to keep JJ fresh in case, and they want to get him those game reps. But then, you know, obviously when it goes wrong, you're going to get blasted for it. And we're talking in retrospect, so it's hard to to judge because we're not making the decisions in the moment. But if you look at yesterday's game, Cade is playing his best game. Um, He's talked before how he believes that he can lead Michigan to a win with his arm, and we hadn't seen that all year because the rushing attack has been so good. Um, He was doing that yesterday. The rushing attack was not there. Uh, The Spartans did a pretty good job of that. There was nothing up the middle, uh, very few, especially in the second half to the sides. And Cade was just spraying it around the field, deep throws, hitting receivers in stride, a few missed throws here or there, but you're not going to be perfect, right? And he was really good. And then you're in the fourth quarter. The game is essentially on the line. And to put JJ back in, I just think you get to a point where you're disrupting Cade's rhythm in a game where he's playing exceptionally well. And I think he should be out there, especially on the first play of a drive. That is a really important drive because the defense had finally gotten a stop in the second half. They had managed to force a punt. And A.J. Henning had muffed the punt, recovered, and then had a pretty sizable return to get them close to midfield and have really good field positioning with, I think it was about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. 
and they were up and they had been driving the ball all game pretty much. And if they add another score there, they're in a really good position. I just think Cade has to be on the field, especially in that spot. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And I think that when you're on the road against a top 10 team, there's something to be said about a quarterback's leadership. And I think presence and leadership are synonymous when you're in the moment. I think that, you know, the voice in the huddle calling the plays, granted Michigan doesn't huddle, but they always do a big offensive huddle before they go out for the start of a drive. And I think Kate's presence and voice were a, a really big guiding factor in yesterday's game. And it's part of why the offense was so successful for so much of the afternoon. And I think that taking that off the field has a really big impact. When the two-quarterback system was first brought up, I rolled my eyes very hard. I thought it was going to be a complete disaster. I thought it was going to be a ridiculous gimmick, similar to those formations where they would inexplicably put out two quarterbacks at the same time. Or the goal line slot receiver. Or the goal line wildcat. I thought that the good it, was old be, days. it was going to be similar to that. And you know, up to that point at the end of the Michigan State game, I thought it was surprisingly very effective. Kate or uh, JJ brought another element to the run game. He could still throw the ball, and he proved that with his touchdown pass to Andrell Anthony. But there were a couple times in that MSU game where Cade was playing really well, and then suddenly JJ trots out on the field, and I'm wondering why. You know, why do you put out the other quarterback when the first guy's doing fine and the offense is functioning properly? And I think that it's all the more bizarre to make that decision when. It's the fourth quarter in a hostile environment, and you're trying to put a true freshman out there to win the game who just fumbled. It doesn't make right. any sense, really, right. if Cade was available. The the fumbling before just compounds the issue because we can agree that J.J. shouldn't have been out there even in the first place. But you have a true freshman quarterback on the road who literally fumbled in the previous offensive play and the previous offensive drive. And they got lucky because a Spartan player could have scooped it up, but he incidentally kicked it out of bounds. And they survived there. And and it was just sort of Harbaugh tempting fate again and going back to JJ, and it blew up in his face. Uh, But but that's enough for dissecting the nitty-gritty of that game. Let's dive into the bigger picture. Obviously, this would have been the the biggest win of the Harbaugh era here in year seven. It says something that every big game Michigan plays can be the biggest win of the Harbaugh era in year seven. Uh, but it could have been, probably should have been. Uh, this is a game that not only had huge implications for this year in terms of competing for a Big Ten championship and potentially a college football playoff bid, uh, but also in-state recruiting. This is a Mel Tucker team that all, all of a sudden is on the upswing and is ahead of Michigan. It has implications for high school prospects watching this game. Um, just really a huge, huge loss for Michigan. Um I don't know what direction you guys want to take this in, in terms of the implications, but. Well, I I think it's important to note that this Michigan team is still a lot better than anyone expected. Um, It's on pace to win nine or 10 games in the regular season, which I don't think any media predicted prior to the season. And I think that's an important context to add to any situation. At the same time, expectations are going to adjust during the season. And this was a very winnable game. It would have, put Michigan on pace to compete for the Big Ten Championship with Ohio State. It would have put Michigan in the driver's seat to potentially make the college football playoff. And now Michigan's behind. It It obviously doesn't control its own destiny in the Big Ten East. And I think that any, any aspirations for a Big Ten Championship are essentially dead, barring some sort of miraculous collapse on the parts of Michigan State and Ohio State. And now it, they need to readjust and 
look at what their own expectations are. I think at this point, Michigan's ceiling is a New Year's Six Bowl, which is still much higher than what it was preseason, but I think ultimately a disappointment when the opportunity to compete for a playoff was right there, and they were about, what, 30 minutes away from completing that? 20 minutes, Less. maybe. Less. Yeah, they were up 16 with three minutes to go in the third quarter. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the the discourse of like, oh, but if you had said this at the beginning of the season, is feels tired because, yes, that's true, but also that's not where Michigan as a program should be with those expectations. And in addition, you wouldn't have expected Michigan State to be at this point undefeated entering the game. So both teams were undefeated. Both teams have exceeded expectations. If you're Michigan, you can't lose to Michigan State. I mean, you're, you're second fiddle now. The Spartans are – they're – it they're the the cool team if you're a high school prospect it's mel tucker they're top five they're the ones in the driver's seat um it's just a tough loss for them to swallow and it, it feels it feels off considering how good this team has been and they are better than everyone thought they were going to be and they had a lot going for them um i think i wrote in my column that the season's not over which is what all the players maintained after the game and they're right but part of Michigan's season died inside Spartan Stadium in the sense that gone is the the blissful ignorance around the revamped culture and the new coaching staff and that this team is different. That's the part of the season that's over because now that they have a loss and a loss to their rival and the same old story, they're not they're not really that different, it turns out. Right. I want to revisit the assistant coaching staff because I think when you look back on this year, that's I think by far the biggest difference and, you know, the first thing players will point out, the first thing you'll read about if you look up, you know, how a team goes from two and four to seven and oh going into a a Halloween top 10 matchup. Uh, And I think that there was so much, maybe not hype, but uh, I think so much good thinking surrounding that new coaching staff and so much true belief. And I I think that this is true of a, a lot of Michigan teams every year. But once you find something to rally behind and then it becomes a letdown, I, I think you start to see through the vas- the facade, excuse me. And I, I think that that's the case with this new staff after a loss like Saturday's. Well, I, I don't think it's time to give up entirely on the concept of this new staff. But no, but I they're think, not the invincible right. group that they were, you know, portrayed as right. by players yeah. and Harbaugh. There, there is, I think, some element of difference to it, but there's only so much that can be done. And I don't think having youth or energy is going to lift Michigan to championship contention. So I think we'll learn a lot about how Michigan can respond against Penn State. I think Indiana will offer us some opportunity to see if Michigan comes out sluggish because of the letdown or if they come out firing and are still looking to prove that they are what people thought they were before the Michigan State game. Right. So so the way they can prove that they are quote unquote different would be to not roll over. And to go out there and beat Indiana by a lot, like they have been doing against these inferior teams. And then it would be going to Happy Valley and beat Penn State. Um, and then ultimately, right, you've got Ohio State looming. Um, there's, well, a, there's a chance that Michigan ends the regular season 9-3. and three. And I don't know if that's a success because your three losses could conceivably be to be your three uh, – excuse me, could become against – come against – your three biggest rivals in Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. And for Michigan fans, regardless of where the preseason expectations were, I don't think you view that season as a success. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the dichotomy of is a season a success or not a success is kind of it kind of misses the point of what seasons are for. I, I don't know. I don't is like it to. Though? I don't like to classify. I mean, people when people are going to look back on the season, they're not going to be like that one was a success or that one's not a success. They're going to say like, oh, that one was kind of eh, like you know they won some games. But I, well, I for me, I do agree. Like from, Michigan's program, yeah, that's from, what it's been from because the they haven't had of, success. I think it'll look people will look back and say it was a step forward, but it was ultimately still disappointing. Well, I think that's a good way. They'll it. judge if it's a step forward based on what happens in ensuing games, right? But disappointment, yeah, disappointing, yeah, for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot still to play for for them, and I do agree. I think we're gonna see if they're different depending on what they can do from here on out. That starts with Indiana, a game that is catastrophically a night game, and a game that they should win by a fair amount. They're favored by twenty. Seems, seems about right. And I'll. Don't let the Daniel pick week early, but I'm leaning towards taking Michigan. I think all that right. they. Well, congratulations to Indiana for covering the spread. But and congratulations I, to all of you for you making know, some money by picking Indiana. Tom Allen's going to be down 22 and kick a field goal with six seconds left. To... All right. I would like to talk about the much more important sporting yes, event yes. that took place this weekend. Oh, let's so dive sorry in. we uh, divulged for so long about the boring football game. We'll get to the more exciting football game right now. The state news, sorry, excuse for a paper and a football team lost 8 nothing. Are we marking this as explicit? For the second consecutive game. <laughs> but Michigan but. Daily beats the state news 8 nothing. Second year in a row we've shut them out. It was not even close. They're a miserable institution, a miserable excuse for a newspaper, and they deserve to lose 8 nothing in every single football game they ever play. Every day matters. Every waking moment matters. Every day we spend practicing for the state news matters but only one night counts. And we made Friday night count. <laughs> we thrashed them. Ain't nothing. It was never close. They had one first down the entire game. Maybe two. imagine. They say they practiced for two months. What did they do? We are not sure. Session. Because what? it was the second play of the game, and I was very nervous going into it because I bought into the Kool-Aid that they were selling, that this was, here we go again, that they're different. They're like their <laughs> Michigan football. They brought in a younger staff with Elon McClown. <laughs> And then I saw the second play from scrimmage, and I was like, okay, they're not going to score. And it was fun. And the Michigan Daily, this is our 16th straight victory. This makes it 17 years because the game did not happen last year. Oh, I'm sure they would have won during the pandemic year. I mean, that would have been a competitive one. Honestly, they should have celebrated that year because they didn't have to lose. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's like the people who think Michigan should hang a banner. 2020 (laughs) did not lose to Ohio State. I think that... I want to shout out Nick Stoll for getting ejected. That was elite. Yes. Um, they tried to choke Nick. He pushed back. And then their adult babysitters, who are, according to Aiden Wutas, irrelevant. Yes. Shout, out, kick shout out. out Aiden Wutas. They, they ejected Nick Stoll, and we kicked their ass anyway. Shout out Arthur Potter, great quarterbacking. Did, did we score Shout on out every Jared drive? Ramsey. I had a lot of fun stepping over you. Did we score on every drive? No, Ken threw a pick. Oh, on, one pick. On the goal line. But yeah. In garbage time. The Michigan the Allen Bowman again. interception defeats the state news the state news defeated without dignity um yeah a dominant showing and that's going to do it for this week's episode of highway to hail thanks to all of you for listening thanks to the football beat for joining me on the podcast and thanks to jimmy malone for editing this podcast 
for more Michigan Daily content, make sure to check out our website, michigandaily.com. Go to the sports section, and if you want football, go to the football tab. That's going to do it for this week. Until next time, adios. Adios.